Today on the LA Food Podcast, I'm your host Lucas Hervodio, who, unlike Chelsea from season 6 of Love is Blind, has never been told he looks like Megan Fox, but like Chelsea from season 6 of Love is Blind, looks absolutely nothing like Megan Fox. Speaking of celebrity-studded happenings, dear listener, we're joined today by the organizer of the upcoming LA Wine and Food Festival. IMG Cecile Rabot calls us from London Town to talk about the immersive food and art experience that's taking over Santa Monica Pier next Friday, March 1st through Sunday, March 3rd. It's going to be a who's who of LA culinary royalty featuring chefs like Stephanie Izzard, Justin Pichatrungzi, Tim Hollingsworth, and many, many more. There's going to be food, drink, art, music, in what promises to be an epic celebration of what our city has to offer. I'm going. See you there. But first, I want to talk to you about a couple of things that caught my attention this week. There's Eater's annual list of where to travel for good eats, in which a smaller California town made a surprise appearance. There's a great Mona Holmes article on the decline of smash burgers, be still my heart. And there's some future-facing discussions of what the 86-ing of service fees might mean for restaurants and diners now that those so-called junk fees are slated to disappear per California law this coming summer. That's coming up next, so without further ado, let's chow down. It's a beautiful Friday in Los Angeles, finally, after yet another rainy week in New Seattle, formerly known as Los Angeles. I hope you're doing well, dear listener. We've got a really exciting conversation today with one of the organizers of what I think is going to be one of the most exciting food festivals to hit Los Angeles in a really long time. I'm talking, of course, about the Los Angeles Wine and Food Festival coming up next weekend, next Friday through Sunday at Santa Monica Pier. We're going to be talking all about it, about the ins and outs, the chefs you can expect to see, the activations you can expect to experience, and of course, all of the delicious bites you're going to be able to taste. But first, it wouldn't be the LA Food Podcast if I didn't tell you about some of the things that caught my eye over the past few weeks. And let me tell you, there have been several. First and foremost, I wanted to quickly touch on a list that Father Saul and I have talked about in the past, and that is Eater's Where to Eat lists. This is their annual list where they basically look at, hey, if you're going to be traveling to a city this year to go and, and enjoy their culinary delights, here are some under the radar picks that you may want to consider. And just a few weeks ago, maybe even less than that, Eater released its annual Where to Eat list, Where to Eat in 2024. Father Saul is actually the one that put me onto this, and he's the one that picked it as one of his favorite lists of 2023. So credit where credit is due. But I really appreciate this list because, again, it's sort of under the radar cities. And there are definitely some interesting shouts on there this year. For example, if you're looking to take a trip to Egypt, you may want to consider Cairo, though that was probably already high on your list. However, if you're going to South Korea, maybe you want to take a detour in Busan. Apparently, they have some excellent food there. Also in Colombia, don't just go to Bogota or Cartagena. Consider Medellin. Apparently, they've got some very, very exciting restaurants happening there. The USA got three shouts on their where to eat list. Philadelphia was named. Milwaukee was also named. Wow, what a year for Milwaukee and Wisconsin in general, considering that that's where Top Chef is going to be hosted. But that's neither here nor there. But also a California city got a nod, and that is Sacramento. Sacramento, the sort of like 
ugly stepbrother to San Francisco finally got a shout out thanks to Lauren Saria of Eater in the Bay Area, who actually uh, wrote this section of the, of, of the list. Sacramento is a really interesting town. I love Sacramento personally. I uh, am a bit of a politics nerd, so uh, there's definitely uh, some allure in the fact that it is the capital of the state and where some of like the legislative business happens. But I've also ran a couple marathons there. Um, one of my best friends in the world is from Folsom, not too far away from there. And the thing about that is every time I go to Sacramento, I find myself gravitating towards the same places. You sort of find what you like. And every time you're up there, since you're not up there that often, you kind of feel like you have to go hit up those spots, right? So I typically go to this like deep dish spot called uh, Chicago Fire that my friend put me onto. And I just think it's like fantastic, kind of shitty, but also amazingly delicious deep dish pizza great spot for after a marathon especially if you want to you know have some who gives a fuck pizza plus beer it's your spot it is absolutely your spot of course the downside of having your go-to spots in a city is that you don't necessarily go out and check out new restaurants so now i have a long list of places to check in Sacramento. A couple things that caught my eye were a spot called Southside Super in what is apparently a very blossoming and bustling Japantown in Sacramento, which sounds very interesting. There's also uh, Kelly McCown's Michelin starred The Kitchen, which has, if it didn't relocate to Sacramento, then it just relocated to a different space. But Interestingly, it's sort of like part of a trend of restaurants moving away from more expensive cities in the Bay Area, like San Francisco, like Oakland, to spots like Sacramento, where rent is a little bit cheaper, and really opening some very ambitious restaurants that a town like Sacramento hasn't seen in a long time. So that's interesting. And then there, of course, there are classic spots that I've just never been to, like Jim Boy's Tacos, which I've heard of before, but it's your classic like Mexican-American hard shell tacos. And Jim Boy's thing is that they dust their tacos with Parmesan. And you know, why the hell not is what I say. Why the hell not? So there may be a trip to Sacramento in my future, and I'll be sure to uh, let you know of all the dirty details if and when it happens. Moving on from Sacramento, though, we're coming back to Los Angeles. I wanted to quickly touch on a piece by the excellent Mona Holmes of Eater. She wrote an article for, I think, that that column in Eater called like Quick Seer or something, where they were basically giving like a quick hot take um, about a certain topic. Mona Holmes wrote one on smash burgers, and the article is centered around the question, has Los Angeles reached peak smash burger? The insinuation here is that, yes, Los Angeles has very much become a smash burger town. Like everywhere you look, it's smash burgers, right? There's burgers never say die. There's heavy handed. There's burger she wrote. There's easy street. There's just a million spots that are super viral, and it feels like there's a hot new smash burger place like every week opening up, right? I have long contended that smash burgers are a scam. I'm not going to say exactly what I said on last year's pod when we talked about this, but my central assertion was that smash burgers are like making out. I'm not going to break down why I said that. I encourage you to go listen to it. But uh, basically, my theory is that smash burgers sound like a great idea. They sound like a great idea. Why wouldn't you want something that has an exciting word like smash in it, coupled with one of the best foods empirically proven, which is a burger, right? 
the problem is that a lot of spots basically just use the word and the like concept of smash burger to pass along subpar meat and less of it in like uh, a more sort of zhuzhed up lipstick on a pig way. That is my fundamental take. I also think, and the article that Mona Holmes writes actually makes this point, they're able to sell like virtually no meat for like $15. And, and you have to buy, if you're, if you're somebody like me, multiple burgers, burgers to make a meal out of it. And, and I take issue with that, you know, certainly I, I have a lot of empathy for restaurants that are needing to like, you know, be inventive during times when the margins are tight. A lot of restaurants are closing, obviously, but come on guys, we, we can all see through the smash burger thing. I'm all for sandbagging, but the art of sandbagging is doing it well, right? And, and doing it in a way where your customer is not suffering. Not only is your customer not suffering, but your customer doesn't even notice what the sandbagging is, right? Um, and this is spoken like someone who has never been a restaurateur, of course. But I, I'm sure there's probably some restaurateurs that agree with this point. I will say, though, there is one smash burger I have a soft spot for because it's not your traditional smash burger. They actually purposefully leave a bit more meat in the center so you can still get that experience of, yes, some lace on the edge, but you also get that like juicy, thick, blood running down your cheeks experience that a lot of us crave when we go out for a burger. And that is Goldburger. Goldburger, which now has multiple locations around town, um, one right by yours truly in Highland Park. And I think they're one of the best, not to mention they're using quality beef. They're using that grass-fed beef. And I just want to give it up to Mona Holmes because she called out Goldberger for their fantastic work in her article. Fantastic article. It's a great read. If you want to go read somebody make an impassioned argument about a certain subject and explore all sides of it, this is an article for you. We will put it in the show notes. Moving on to another excellently written piece, Stephanie Brejo broke down the service fee debacle for the Los Angeles Times. Essentially, it's not just the service fee debacle. It is the concept of junk fees and the fact that they, as of June or July of this year, will no longer be legal to be included on restaurant menus. Basically, what happened is there's been a lot of chatter, right, about service fees, the things on the menus that you see that are like, oh, okay, in addition to what you're paying for your food, in addition to the tip that you're leaving your server, there's going to be a 5 to 10 to 20% service fee that is going to go back to the employees to pay for their health care, uh, to maybe make up um, a wages on a night uh, that is slow or something like that. And I think generally most of us agree that service fees are a good thing. However, the California legislature basically wanted to find a way to protect consumers during these times of inflation. And what they've done is basically they said any service where the price that is advertised is not that the one the consumer ends up paying when the bill is due – you're going to have to change that businesses. This happens at like hotels. It happens at when you're renting cars, right? They tell you like, okay, it's going to be $60 a day. But by the time all those fees are added, by, by the end, you're paying almost like 1.5 to two times the initial advertised price. And a lot of consumers take issue with that, right? So basically all the California legislature is saying is like businesses be transparent at the front. This article that Stephanie Brejo writes about restaurants is really interesting because basically what she's saying is 
and she talked to a lot of restaurants to actually prove this point, but it's basically that the service fees are going to be going away from the menu. But what is going to happen is restaurants still need to pay for their employees' health care. They still need to uh, uh, find ways to, to get those benefits to uh, their employees. And it's going to be added to the price of food. So if you're paying a dish, uh, paying $20 for a dish, you're going to see it go up to like $30. She interviewed Caroline Stein um, of the AOC and Luke group. And basically she said like their famous uh, Zuni owed chicken, which is an ode to Zuni cafe in San Francisco. It's going to go up from like $32 to $42. Like it's just going to have to go up in order to make up the margins that are going to be taken away because the service fees are going away. So I think this is definitely going to be a problem. The article and based on who Stephanie spoke with, it makes it sound like a lot of restaurants are going to suffer and a lot of restaurants may even close because of these. So I think really, you know, if I were a restaurant right now, I would be doing everything I can to communicate with my customers right now before June and July comes around and the customers are surprised that their smash burger went up from $15 to $20, right? So I know it's easier said than done, but I ge- I genuinely feel like put signs up, put things on the tables, you know, like uh, put it on your put it on the receipts, put it on the checks, like Put it everywhere so customers, when they're coming back in June and July, they're not shocked, right? They they can expect it and they can start making their decisions now about where they want to continue to patronize, knowing that those prices are going to go up. And for consumers, all I will say is like, don't get spooked. You are already paying these prices, right? You're already paying these prices in the checks. It's just going to look a little different. I know it doesn't feel good to, to, to pay $35 for your cash of pepe at Funky instead of $28 for it. Like I know that, that that hits a little different, but just remind yourself, you were paying that anyway. It was just broken down different. I think this is mostly a communications and a mental issue. I'm not really sure how it's protecting consumers if the consumers are going to have to pay the prices anyways, but that's a separate debate that I can have uh, when I actually take my t- trip to Sacramento to try new food. Okay, enough about that. Let's uh, let's go to some fun stuff. Top Chef. Okay, Top Chef is returning end of March. It's almost upon us, and there's been a new trailer, and it looks pretty good. We've got a new host this year. It's Kristen Kish. She's replacing Padma Lakshmi. We've talked about it at length on the podcast. There's some really exciting Top Chef content coming up on the podcast that I just wanted to plug real quick. First, we've got an interview coming up in the following weeks with not just a contestant on Top Chef World All-Stars, but a winner of a past Top Chef edition. We talk about some really exciting behind-the-scenes Top Chef details. Honestly, as a Top Chef nerd, I left that interview just buzzing, absolutely buzzing, as they say on Love Island, another one of my favorite shows. I just, you know, great conversation, so excited, and the cherry on top is that this chef actually just opened a really hot new restaurant here in Los Angeles. So if you've been following restaurant openings in Los Angeles, you might know who I'm talking about. But if not, just Google it and you'll find it. And if not, just keep listening to the podcast and you'll be able to listen to it in the coming weeks. We also will be doing it again, the Top Chef Fantasy Draft. Uh, this year, it won't just be me and Father Saul conducting the draft and participating in Fantasy Top Chef. We're actually going to be joined by two very special guests. I'm not going to name who they are right now, um, but 
let's just say we're taking Fantasy Top Chef to the next level. For those of you who have joined us uh, since after Fantasy Top Chef wrapped last year, I'll just tell you that uh, Father Saw kicked my ass, okay? Father Saw kicked my ass on Fantasy Top Chef. It wasn't great for me. It wasn't great for the listeners. Everybody was was rooting for me because I'm the host, right? Um, but Father Saul did win. He made some astute picks. This year, I'm resolved to do my homework and to really put in the work uh, so that my draft picks are correct this year. You know, last year I went on vibes. This year I'm going to go on data. I'm going to go on stats, okay? Um, I, I That's all coming up here in the next couple weeks. So mark your calendars. Interview with Top Chef winner plus Fantasy Top Chef draft. And then Top Chef, we're off to the races. I can't think of a more exciting uh, time of the year personally. Okay, last thing I want to plug. I just put up another video on my LA Countdown account of the latest Unlistable. As a reminder, I'm doing this this series called The Unlistables where I'm basically going to unloved and underloved restaurants by food media. Basically places that aren't on any of the lists, the eater lists, the infatuation lists, the LA Times lists. And I'm going there and asking, do they deserve to be on the lists? Are they listable or are they unlistable? Well, I just hit up a little spot in Inglewood called Gold Spoon Jamaican Cuisine and it was lights out. Truly some of the best food I've had in a while. Chef Grace Henry does some incredible work down there. It really feels like you're being let in on like some family recipes. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's like, you know, uh, like no frills home cooking. It's actually very high caliber cooking. You know, all of the proteins are cooked perfectly. The spices are perfectly balanced. The jerk chicken truly just like reconfigured my my taste buds. It was something that brought me to another level and that I'll be returning to time and time again. So I cannot say enough good things about Gold Spoon Jamaican Cuisine. If you're curious, I will put the video, the Unlistables video in the show notes. So please go check that out. And definitely next time you're in Inglewood, uh, swing by, uh, tell Chef Henry that we sent you and uh, yeah, you will not regret it. Okay. Before we move on to our conversation uh, with the folks organizing the LA Wine and Food Festival, I just wanted to quickly uh, basically send a quick condolences to the entire Here's Looking at You and All Day Baby families. We uh, haven't had a chance to since uh, it was announced that the founding chef, Jonathan Whitener, had sadly passed away. Um, Look, there's not a ton that I can add to this because there's been amazing tributes written uh, in the media. There's been amazing tributes written on social media by folks who were really close to Chef Jonathan. Um, all I'll say is this. Whenever you're speaking to people in the food industry in Los Angeles and Chef Jonathan's name comes up, they light up. They absolutely light up. And it's not just because he's an incredible chef that won a ton of accolades, did a ton of excellent things on the LA food scene. It's clearly because he touched a lot of people personally, right? He was he was good to them. He was a he was a light in their lives. And I think in any profession, right, what you do professionally is one thing, but being a good human, that's what really matters and it's clear that Chef Jonathan was one of those good humans and made a lot of positive impact on a lot of people's lives. And he will be sorely missed um, in the Los Angeles food scene. So, you know, if if you're in the neck of the woods, consider stopping by here's looking at you and all day baby, uh, showing them some love because I'm sure that these can't be easy times for them. So do that. Well, 
Without further ado, it's time for our conversation with the organizer of LA Wine and Food Festival. We'll be right back. Joining us today on the LA Food Podcast is Cecile Rabot, VP of Culinary Arts and Entertainment at IMG, the organizers behind the inaugural LA Wine and Food Festival. Cecile, how are you doing today? Hi, nice to meet you. I'm, uh, I'm great, thank you. Good, good, good. Where are you calling us from today? From grey and rainy London. Oh man, that's uh, that's a bummer. We've had some rain here ourselves, but I'll I'll let you know. Then this is probably good for the event. But the sun is shining, the air is crisp, and the weather is beautiful. I've heard so. Good, good, good. Um, uh, well, today we're talking about the LA Wine and Food Festival, which is coming to Los Angeles for the first time next weekend, March first through third, Friday through Sunday. Cecile, I am fascinated by this event. Can you quickly give us the quote-unquote elevator pitch for the event? Yes, sure. Uh, it's a brand-new three-day event, and it's bringing outstanding chefs together to celebrate LA's vibrant food, art, and cultural scene. There you go. Less, less really quick elevator ride, That's but you, you got one, it all yeah. in there. Yeah. Uh, I'm really curious. Obviously, this is the first event, you know, there there isn't a, currently, as I understand it, you know, the New York Wine and Food Festival or the, uh, you know, uh, let's say mm -hmm. Seattle Wine and Food Festival. How did you select Los Angeles for this event? What drew you to our city? Well, you know, we organize uh, other um, culinary events and festivals around the world, including uh, London, LA, Sydney, Asia, and yeah, we've been looking at the LA scene for a while. Um, we recognize how diverse and exciting it is, and um, you know, from like upscale dining to casual uh, beachside eateries, really. And yeah, I've been looking at this closely and the whole team, and we really wanted to uh, celebrate, like I said, the LA's um, vibrant food and cultural scene and organize our own event there. Um, also, um, we are a sister event to uh, Freeze Week Los Angeles, and we wanted to uh, coincide with them, organize the event at the same time, um, because the energy in the city is uh, is incredible at this time of year, and uh, yeah, to celebrate the wider creative context that LA offers, really. What is uh, Freeze Week Los Angeles for those who are listening to the podcast that aren't familiar with it? So Freeze Week Los Angeles is an international art fair. Uh, it was launched in 2019. Uh, it's held at the Santa Monica Airport. So uh, it starts the day before us, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, it also holds events in um, New York, London, and Seoul. Uh, and it largely focuses on contemporary art and celebrates the uh, exceptionally dynamic culture of LA and its global contributions to the visual art. And that's a celebration of all of this. Uh, they'll feature over, I think, 95 of uh, most the most exciting galleries from around the world. Um, and they'll have uh, an exciting program of uh, installations, collaborations, and restaurants as well. Wow. So you're telling us you can get the best of food and art in one weekend in Los Angeles? Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Well, how lucky are we? Okay, well, I'd love to hear about the chefs who are going to be participating at LA Wine and Food Festival. Who are you most excited to see cook? Well, all of them, I should say. <laughs> um, look, we have 30 chefs per day. Uh, we'll have headliners, so 
the the famous chefs, the celebrities you see on your you know TV shows, um, but also recently awarded chefs from the James Beard Awards. Uh, so very excited to see uh, these people cook and try their food. Uh, but also because it's a celebration of LA, like I said, it's it's all of them. It's um, you know I've been I've been looking at the LA scene for a while, and I've been following people on Instagram, looking at their food, seeing them on TV, and I'm really excited about many of them. There's um, Tifa, you know, Jitlada, uh, Anna Jacktide. I just received you know several awards. Uh, Natalia Vallejo, who's coming from Puerto Rico. We have. Holy basil, I'm really interested in uh, trying their food. I have a sweet tooth as well, so there'll be plenty of desserts, like bake some noise, some ice creams. Um, yeah, many, many chefs, like, uh, they're all really exciting. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, some of the names you said there alone would be a reason for someone like me and many of our listeners to, you know, be lining up starting probably today in order to make it into the festival. But um <laughs> You know, we've had we have several food festivals here in Los Angeles, and there there are a, a variety of them, right? There's the ones mm-hmm. that you go to and you pay the entry ticket, but then you still have to pay for all your food. There's also the ones where you go and you pay, you know, one price at the outset, and you get in there and you you you're sort of have like access to the small bites that the chef is preparing. What mm-hmm. type of eating experience will guests be able to expect at your festival? Well, it's it's all inclusive, right? So your ticket will get you unlimited food and drinks, which is beautiful. Uh, in terms of food, so you'll have one dish per chef, uh, including all the headliners that I mentioned, um, you know, like Adam Perry Lang and Jet Tiller, etc. All the other restaurants from LA. So one dish per chef per day. Um, yeah, from fine dining to ice cream, from exotic cuisines to uh, um, to casual. I mean, it's it's a wide range. Um, if you want to know a bit more about the whole experience, obviously it's not just uh, food and drinks. We are trying to create something that integrates, like an event that integrates um, a few interesting artistic and cultural elements um, because this is something that we don't see often, we think, and we wanted to bring these elements together at LA Wine and Food. So you'll have, of course, like lots of drinks, like cocktail bars and wine bars. Um, you'll also have DJ sets. We are programming female DJs this year. Um, we are also featuring uh, several and many, actually, uh, female-owned restaurants because we're working with this amazing organization called Regarding Her, which mm-hmm. is a nonprofit organization celebrating and accelerating um female uh, talent in the hospitality industry so you'll be able to taste food from some of their restaurants uh, and we are also curating and designing special areas within the event so that's part of the experience as well as you were you were describing is the food the drinks the art elements which i can talk about a bit later but these zones as well um we're paying tribute to la with an homage to Santa Monica and Venice, another one to Hollywood. Uh, there will be a crazy sweet room. Um, so a, a lot to, a lot for the eyes and for the palate. Yeah, for sure. Well, well tell me a little bit about those rooms because I read about those on the website. There's going to be a Hollywood room, as you said, a, a, a Santa Monica room. What can guests ex- expect when they go into one of those quote-unquote rooms? 
Yes. So, well, I won't yeah, like tell you everything. So I want to keep a bit <laughs> like the, the surprise. Uh, but for example, this this beautiful, this crazy suite room uh, will have a supersized candy display. Uh, it's going to be very visual. You'll have amazing chefs in this room. For example, Dove Goldman will be uh, in that room. So it will be desserts only. And um, we're also working with an amazing food art uh, studio based in LA to create uh, a food art installation. So as you see, we're blending food and art, right, in these rooms. Same for, for example, the uh, the room um, that has uh, a graffiti artist who will be doing a live piece during the event, uh, which will be finished at the end on Sunday night. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're paying tribute to like the graffiti, like the murals in Santa Monica. Um, so that's that's another of the th- uh, themes that we are activating at the event. So this is the idea behind these rooms, right? There's also mm-hmm. a skateboard sculpture, but I don't want to tell too much. <laughs> no, uh, you're doing a great job of teasing just <laughs> enough. Now, I also understand there's a, there's a philanthropy angle to this as well. You know, there's 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 yes. things that are happening that are going to be giving back. Uh, to the community in some way. Can you tell us a little bit about the Artist Plate Project? Absolutely. So that's that's a project we're really, really pleased to integrate to the event. Um, it's another link uh, with Freeze Los Angeles. So it's coming from uh, their really successful uh, launch at Freeze New York in 2023, last year. Um, and we will have 50 plates designed by uh, renowned artists uh, including Virgil Abloh's Desert Plates, um, and yeah, it will be beautiful. I'll be one of the of the buyers for sure. People will be able to buy these plates, and um, the beauty of it is that the proceeds will benefit the coalition of homeless. So that's the philanthropy um, through this project, and also uh, via the organization regarding her I just mentioned before, because uh, we will be uh, making a donation to this organization. Yeah, that's a great organization. Yeah. Yeah, with a lot of uh, Los Angeles representation in it, actually. We've had some of their uh, some of their founding members on the podcast before. So um, I'll definitely I'll post the links to those shows in the show notes as well in case folks are interested in learning more about regarding her. Okay, well, well, Cecile, I, I got to ask you, you know, looking at the price for the event, there may be some folks that look at it and get a little bit of sticker shock. You know, I mean, this is pretty much the same price as going to Coachella for a weekend pass. What do you think yeah. makes the bang worth the buck for this festival? Well, I think it's what everything I've just mentioned before. Uh, there will be general admission uh, tickets and VIP as well. We'll have a VIP lounge with exclusive food and drinks in there, um, a special design as well, which I haven't revealed yet. Uh, but it's everything else you'll be able to experience. It's unlimited food and drinks. It's meeting these uh, celebrities that you know you maybe you've been dying to meet because you've been seeing them on TV. It's trying their food. It's uh, listening to the DJs. It's having a good time. Uh, it's getting immersed in some art. So yeah, this is the whole the whole experience of the festival. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'll give you my three reasons why I think this is worth more than Coachella to be, okay? Number one, convenience, guys. Convenience, right? I mean, you don't have to drive all the way to the desert. It's right here. It's Santa Monica Pier. So 
convenience it's close to us here in los angeles that's number one number two we all know that the best part of these festivals is the food and this one is all about the food obviously it's not all about the food there's a lot more to it but certainly if you're someone like me or a lot of people listen to this podcast that are so into the whole like food space this is really your coachella right your rock stars are the chefs so it's pretty cool that you actually get to see these people or eat their food and it sounds like you also have the chance to maybe even interact with them, which is something you don't get at Coachella. So uh, to me, those are three great reasons to go. I agree. <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you what, Ellie Wine and Food didn't even didn't even pay me to say that, guys. I'm saying that because I believe it. OK, <laughs> um, Cecile, I got to ask you, how did you get into this line of work? That's an interesting question. Um, I used to work for a French chef who I hope is really known called Alain Ducasse. So I, know if, I don't course. know if you know him. Yeah. So I worked with him for several years in Paris and uh, London. And this is how I came to work with IMG and work on all these beautiful uh, food festivals and events. Well, uh, not only is Alain Ducasse known, he's a legend here as he is yeah. in France. Uh, you got any fun Alain stories for us? <laughs> wow. So many, I guess. So many. Um, well, he's an incredible and very inspirational man, I have to say. Uh, not only a super talented chef, but a visionaire. Um, and I used to tell him when he was coming to London, because he, he, you know, he used to come to see his his team quite regularly. And every time we we had dinner together, because I was lucky enough to go for dinner with him quite quite often, I used to tell him, "Look, uh, chef, it's the same as like for me, maybe playing tennis with like Roger Federer, having dinner with you." <laughs> that used to make make him laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> He was like, my backhand isn't quite as good as Roger Federer's, but I appreciate it. Um, but Roger probably can't make a Bernays sauce like he can. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he can. I don't know if Alan can play tennis, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> um, well, Cecile, what about what about you? Do you do you come to Los Angeles often? Well, I yes, I love I love LA. I've been a few times. I went to uh, a university when I was younger, I have to say, to Malibu when I, yeah, when I was a teenager. So I've, I've always loved LA. Uh, I've been coming a bit more often uh, recently, of course, to prepare this, this event. Uh, and um, yeah, I, I hope I can, uh, I can come more and visit more often. And what are your favorite spots that you've been out to eat when you've been here? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, well, some of them would include um, Gigi's that I tried mm. last time I came. Uh, I also had the chance to try Manuela, which is uh, run by this uh, gallery owners, Hauser and Worth. Um, yeah, I haven't had time to go to many places. I went to Anna Jack Tai, one of our headliners and participant restaurants. So super excited to see them as well. So yeah, I, I didn't have a lot of time. So hopefully at the event I can you know, eat all, all 90 dishes, <laughs> then I will have to eat my boxes. <laughs> I, I was going to, that was my going to be my last question for you actually is, you know, for folks who go to food festivals, I, I I've had traumatizing experiences where, you know, sometimes like I get there and I'm so excited and I eat everything and then I have to be wheeled out of there by my friends. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> well, how, how do you like to approach a food festival to make sure that you're not like, you know, uh, you, you don't have to tap out after one hour. I would say pace, pace yourself. Right. Yeah. 
uh, eat and drink, walk around, have fun, make a pause, listen to the music, go to the next room. You know, that's that's how I do it. And come with a list because it's also good to prepare. 100%. So you know where you want to go. That's a great, great tip. Okay, well, Cecile, um, where can people find more information about the festival? Well, they can go online. So uh, the website address is um, lawineandfood.com and the Instagram account is lawinefoodfest. Fantastic. And we'll put it all in the show notes. Well, Cecile, I hope to see you there. And I'm, I'm personally really stoked about it. I've, I've already started training. I'm stretching my stomach to make sure I have, I have room. Um, but we're really looking forward to it. Thank you for making the time to speak with us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this short and sweet episode of the LA Food Podcast, dear listener. Thanks to our guest, Cecile Rabot, for joining us and telling us all about the LA Wine and Food Festival. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty stoked for it, and I definitely hope to see you there. Seriously, if you're there, come over and say hi. Don't be shy. I do not bite, unless, of course, you have a smash burger in your hand. If you like what you heard today, please go to wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us a rating, review, subscribe if you should be so inclined. Seriously, all that stuff really helps us make our way up the charts. We'll be back next week with another epic episode. But in the meantime, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and threads at The LA Countdown. That's T-H-E-L-A-C-O-U-N-T-D-O-W-N. You can also watch all our episodes on YouTube at YouTube slash at The LA Countdown. And you can also find me on Instagram at LA Food Pod. That's at L-A-F-O-O-D-P-O-D. Pod. That's